Hello, this is episode 209 and in it, I'm going to be answering a common question that I hear from homeowners. How do you know you don't just need a draftsperson or a building designer, but that you should use an architect instead? And when should you definitely use an architect versus other industry professionals? Or when will a draftsperson be sufficient for your needs? It can be asked in other ways as well. I've seen people ask questions like, you know, do architects ever work with small budgets? Can you get an architect to tell you how to use your space better and then work with others to make the changes? Or should you see a builder or even an interior designer first? Now, many homeowners want to know if there's a way of narrowing down who they should work with based on the kind of project that they're planning, or if their project will be considered too small or too big for specific types of design professionals. So I'm going to take you through how to determine who to work with for your project, whatever you're planning to do. This is a bit of a chunky topic. And in fact, I didn't realize how chunky it was until I started mapping it out. Um, because there can be a lot to weigh up in this decision. So I'm going to be doing this information across two episodes. Now you can grab the full transcript of this episode, 209, which is the first part of this conversation as a free PDF download. And you can grab that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 209. That's the numbers 209. So be sure to do that. You can then review and revisit this episode as needed and grab all the links that I mentioned as well. Now let's dive in. Welcome to the Get It Right podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. With over 25 years industry experience, I've worked with loads of homeowners like you to create family homes that work, feel great, and that you feel great in. I'm a wife and a mum to three kids who, thanks to our own renovations, they all learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'm a registered architect who is passionate about you feeling informed, educated, and empowered as you design, build, or renovate your home. Now, if you're up for some frank and open conversation about the true nitty gritty of designing, building and renovating based on professional and personal experience across hundreds and hundreds of homes, well, you're in the right place. Undercover Architect is an award-winning online business and resource that began in mid-2014. And it's all about teaching you how to create a fantastic, feel-good family home. One that works for you now and into the future one that is sustainable and affordable, and that helps you live a great lifestyle, both in and beyond your home. So whether you're renovating or building, whoever you're working with, and whatever your dreams, your location, or your budget, consider Undercover Architect your secret ally in helping and teaching you how to get it right. Now, before we jump into this podcast episode, a quick shout out to my sponsors. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me and my free online workshop, Your Project Plan. I actually created this online workshop because I so regularly see a lot of time and money get wasted in renovation and building projects. And this happens largely because homeowners just don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. So that makes it really easy to make missteps, to take the wrong advice, or to actually skip important parts of your project that will catch you out down the track or worse, mean that you miss out on things that you really wanted in your home. Learn how to avoid serious and expensive mistakes, what to do next, whatever stage you're at in your project, and also access some great bonuses too by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. And that's project plan spelled P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. Take the guesswork out of the next steps you need to take in your project journey and sign up today for free for this great online workshop. 
And now, let's get on with the episode. Here we go. The question of who is best to work with on your project design, it's a really common one. And my approach may be different to others that you hear out there. Largely, I think this is maybe because I've got the benefit of knowing the huge variety of ways in which design professionals supply their services these days and the widely varying ways that you can work with them as a result. And so right up front, I want to say a few things that are my personal beliefs that are based on decades that I've had in this industry, plus also the interactions that I've had with homeowners over that time and the countless designs that I've reviewed over the years as well, literally thousands and thousands of them. I'm going to do these upfront points as bullet points, and then we're going to dive into more detail in the episode so that you can gain a more comprehensive understanding of this topic. And I'll explain as part of that, why these bullet points are how I think. So now some of these may sound contentious. You may not agree with them either. Again, this is just what's based on my personal and professional experience of having worked with a lot of different industry professionals inside a wide range of relationships and working processes. And it's also from hearing and speaking with homeowners that share with me their experience in a wide variety of project delivery methods too. So here goes with the bullet points. The first one is that someone's professional title does not make them a great designer. And as with any industry, there are those that are great at what they do and then there are those that aren't. So don't assume the extent of someone's skills and abilities purely based on their job title. Draftspeople, as a general rule, are not designers and neither are builders. Having an interest in design is not the same as understanding design, being experienced in design and knowing how to create functional, fantastic design outcomes. Someone who is self-taught in design can be skilled in design, but you want to see a lot of evidence in finished projects that have been tested over time for functionality and for performance. Home design involves making decisions about buildability and durability long-term. It's not a purely creative endeavour about making spaces and rooms look and feel good. And in home design, you can't unlink the pragmatic outcome from the aesthetic and creative one. So what I mean by this is that, you know, any designer creating a home design needs to understand building codes, logistics on site, building performance, and then balance this with the aesthetic outcome. And when they don't understand this or they, you know, they don't have the experience in the balance, then they expose themselves and the occupants of their home to a a lot of risk that just can't always be mitigated by a builder during construction. And lastly, drawing and designing are not the same thing. Now, I'm aware, fully aware that I'm an architect saying these things, but please understand I have no attachment whatsoever to architects being the only people to work with in your new home or renovation project. I remember some of the people that I went through uni with who were terrible designers. And I've also seen some horrible, dysfunctional, architecturally designed floor plans and finished homes in my time. But I don't want you to think that your budget means that you only get to work with certain professionals in your project. I am super passionate about you finding the right designer for you, whoever that is, and that you are informed and educated about how to look for them, what to ask them, and how to work with them collaboratively to achieve a great outcome for your project, and that you see and recognize the red flags before you commit to a dud designer or you know when to walk away inside a not so great relationship with one that you might already be working with. So I think it's going to be worth starting with a bit of an explanation about the difference between each of the professions that are often used in the design process 
because there can be a lot of misconceptions about the various design professionals inside the residential renovation and building industry. So firstly, let's start with architects. Now, the title architect and the words architectural, they're actually protected by law. And for us to legally call ourselves an architect or to describe the work we do or the services that we provide as uh, as architectural, we must meet a range of conditions. And this isn't something just set by the industry. This is actually protected by a code of conduct set in government law. So firstly, we've got to complete a recognised architectural degree that can take five to six years to do. We've also got to complete a certain number of logged hours over a minimum of two years period, uh, getting experience in various aspects of architectural practice. Once we've done that logbook, then we pass, uh, we have to submit that and pass a written exam and then we have to pass an oral exam and we have to do all of that in order to actually get registered as an architect. And then following that, we then have to complete a certain number of hours in continuing professional development each year and you're registration has to be renewed on an annual basis and you have to declare that you've done these hours uh, in yeah, in whichever state you're registered in. Now, I personally didn't get registered as an architect until I think I was about 30 years old. I did a fair amount of traveling and living overseas once I finished university. I did my degree straight from school, finished it when I was 24, but then I sort of took off overseas for a few years. And you know, part of that, I was working in architectural practices overseas, um, but I wanted to wait until I had some more Aussie-based uh, and logged experience in architectural practices in Australia, and also that life was just a bit more steady as well before I headed into my registration process, that I actually had, you know, a stable job and was working on projects on a regular basis. Now, I will never forget the sense of relief when that registration acceptance letter came in the mail. I can picture where I am, where I was, you know, I can still see it, I can see what it felt like. I can see myself opening that letter, you know, studying for my exams and ensuring that my logbook was properly completed and that I'd done everything I'd wanted to, you know, that I was supposed to do. That was a huge undertaking. And in passing my, you know, written and my oral uh, assessments, I actually felt like I'd legitimised all of the work that I'd been doing since leaving school, you know, 12 years prior and starting my architectural studies. So, this system is fairly similar the world over and as a consumer in Australia using an architect, you can actually head to the Board of Architects website in your state and you can search their register to confirm that an architect is registered. And it's always worth doing because there's constantly cases of design professionals referring to themselves as architects or saying that they provide architectural services and architectural drawings when they're not registered so they're not legally entitled to use those terms. Now, next, let's have a look at building designers. Now, it depends on the state of Australia whether a building designer has to be formally licensed to use this title. And the license that they have will actually impact the scale of development that they can work on, be it individual homes, apartment buildings, or public facilities such as childcare centres and other buildings like that. Now, there are specific tertiary courses that can qualify you to be a building designer. Sometimes, however, Building designers might be draftspeople who've gone through the licensing process and some building designers are also people who've studied architecture but they've not gone through the registration process. They might have only got through, you know, part of their degree or finished their degree but decided to not get registered. Now, there's also draftspeople and many in this role might study at TAFE to learn the skills required to draw or document buildings. However, I've also worked with draftspeople who are purely... You know, they've just learnt their drawing skills on the job and then they've honed them over time. 
There are, of course, other people that homeowners will go to for their initial design work when renovating or building. So I've seen homeowners go to an interior designer because uh, there are interior designers out there who are running full projects of new builds and renovations on their own. Uh, and, you know, they're doing that inside their own businesses. There's uh, professions called interior architects, which from what I understand, unless they're actually registered as an architect, they're not supposed to call themselves an interior architect. But I know that there is a cor- there are university courses out there called interior architecture. But you will find that there are um, professionals like this with titles like interior designer that are doing full-scale projects instead of um, being collaborators or working alongside an architect or a building designer just solely focused on the interior design component. Now, if you want more information on working with an interior designer or to learn more about interior design in general, then I'd really encourage you to check out season 11 of the podcast. It's a really must-listen season and uh, it will take you through a lot more information about interior design and interior designers. And I've also got the self-study online course, Interior Design 101, and that's worth checking out too. Now, interior design is an unregulated industry. So that means you can run into issues with not really knowing what training or experience an interior designer actually has. They can be everything from university qualified to self-trained. And I've seen interior designers who've worked and studied for years and years in interior design, right through to someone who might have started in event planning and styling and just sort of casually built up a bit of a reputation to do that. And then they've started working with homeowners on their renovations and new builds and they jump between both worlds. Now, lastly, there's the builder. And I often see homeowners going straight to a builder at the beginning of their project, or it might be that they're recommended to a builder who has an interest in design. That's often how it's described. They have an interest in design. Um, And so that builder will also help them with their floor plan for their new home or renovation. Now, the builder may or may not have any formal design training. And there are also architects out there who are also operating as licensed builders. So I've seen that, you know, there are architects who've decided that they're going to become a licensed builder so that they can provide a one-stop shop. Uh, There's the same for building designers as well. However, there are also builders out there who have no design training, but they do the design work for their clients as well as build their homes. And, you know, the house that I live in, for example, it was built by a builder. He did his own design and documentation back in the in the 1990s and the 1980s. And this was his own home. And I've seen the drawings and, you know, can see that he, he designed and drew it all up. So, and there's builders who still work like this with clients on houses that are being built and renovated all over. So, that takes you through the difference in training and qualifications of the various professionals that people do go to to start working on their design. And I find that they're often the main differences that are described about these professionals that are drawn between them. However, in my experience of having worked with and managed and hired all these different kinds of design professionals that I've described here, particularly when it comes to architects, building designers and draftspeople, Um, There's a few things that I do want to add about the difference between them. So the first is this, and as I said it up front, a title does not make someone a great designer. As with any industry, there are those that are great at their jobs and those that aren't, but they still get to hang a shingle and do work for people. And so this is why it's so important for you to inform yourself uh, about home design sufficiently so that you can actually be empowered in the way that you talk to potential design professionals And then you can also assess their previous projects with some level of literacy, you know, understanding what to look for and what good design looks like. Now, if I'm speaking generally from my experience of working with them and managing them and hiring them, this would be what I would say. So 
Architects, I find, they're really focused on design and their main, main area of skill and expertise. It's really in maximising the design opportunities for your home, your site and your budget. Now, I've got an interview with architect Sean Lockyer in season four of the podcast and he describes this really well because he spoke about architects providing a qualitative response, whereas other design professionals will provide more of a quantitative one. It's really the difference between interpreting your wishes and your wants and translating them into a finished outcome versus looking at your list of wishes and wants and arranging them as, uh, you know, that list of rooms into a floor plan. Now, when it's done well, when this interpretation, this qualitative response is done well, you can see the dramatic difference that it creates in how a home feels and functions. Unfortunately, though, and this is the tricky thing, it's often only through lived experience that people come to recognise how powerful this difference is. And not all of us get to benefit from that lived experience. You know, and I personally find that the more that I teach you about design, the more of you who actually get in touch with me and say to me, you know, I now see what you mean. I'm walking around and I'm looking at spaces and places and homes differently. And I can see how much design can change the way something works and how I feel and why design is worth investing in. And so you may be walking around as a design detective and really understanding the difference between this qualitative response versus a quantitative one. I find that building designers and draftspeople are specialists in documentation and delivery. And in larger practices, they'll generally work alongside the architect, preparing drawings for the design work being done by the architect. Now, these are generalisations. I know that there's special and, you know, individual cases within all of the industries, but this is my general experience about each of these professions. I find that building designers and draftspeople are largely taught how to draw and they understand the construction of buildings so that they can represent them accurately in their documentation. And of course, as part of drawing, they are going to be designing as well. And if they've studied at TAFE, they may have actually done some design study as part of their overall studies. But I find that they've just not been taught design at the same level as an architect. It's, it's just not possible or feasible in the type and the length of the study that they do. Now, I always get some interesting feedback when I say this out loud. It, um, frankly, it comes from over 25 years of experience in the industry. But I just, I, time and time again, draftspeople are not designers. Yes, as I said, there can be outliers in the industry, but for the most part, draftspeople will draw your plans. They won't design them. I have had so, so many homeowners come to me disappointed because they worked with a draftsperson who just purely drew up what they were asking or they replicated the plan that they'd drawn themselves or they tweaked a plan that they'd sourced from somewhere else. Now, the homeowner in that process was actually expecting some kind of input, some expansion of ideas or even some testing and questioning of what was possible. And they were also expecting some advice on what would work and what wouldn't and, you know, input on whether they were missing anything or there's anything that they'd overlooked. But time and time again, it's not been the result when they've worked with a drafts person. And I find that the same thing usually happens when homeowners have a builder create their design as well. Now, many think that getting help from a builder who can also do the design work, that that's actually going to enable you to kill two birds with one stone. You know, you'll get a design that's streamlined for building and you'll be able to manage your budget throughout the design process too. However, hopefully from the recent episodes that I've done about the PAC process or the Paytas Consultant process, so they're episodes 201 to 205. And then I also did an episode on the design construct process and understanding uh, the difference in design construct projects. That's episode 197. 
you know, hopefully from listening to those, you can actually see the potential issues with using a builder to do the design of your home and also see that there's other ways that you can build into your processes to manage cost and buildability during the design phase without physically having to get the builder to design your project as well. Because there is a really, really big difference between drawing a home and designing a home. And there's an even bigger difference between designing a home and building a home. There's also a lot of risk in the design process. You know, the decisions that are being made about rooms and spaces, detailing and construction, they can come with risk associated with things being fit for purpose, being durable and being safe to use. So if you want to work with a professional who has an understanding of this risk and is a and is appropriately insured as well, then it's essential that you know that up front. You know, I've told this story before on the podcast, but I will never forget being at a party and getting into a conversation with a woman who was actually the event stylist for the party that, it was, that I was at. And when she found out that I'm an architect, she started talking about a renovation project that she was working on for a local guy. You know, this guy had liked her style at a party that he'd attended and then he'd asked her to get involved in his project because he was renovating his home. And the thing was that this involvement, it was going well beyond styling. She was designing new building work. She was on site. She was reconfiguring the existing house. And she was also, you know, helping with the design of outdoor areas such as the, a new pool that was going in and an alfresco area. She said to me that the builder and the tradies, they were helping her out with specific construction issues. But some of the things that she was talking about, that she was involved in and that she was making decisions about and the decisions that she was making, it really scared me in terms of what she was potentially exposing herself and her client to long term. It was super risky. Now, before I go on, remember, you can actually grab a full transcript of this episode. Plus, there's other info about helpful links and resources related to this topic. I've got it all as a free PDF download and you can grab that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 209. That's the numbers 209. So be sure you can you do that so that you can get a copy of this and file it away. So... Now you know a bit more about the difference between each of these professionals, then let's have a look at how they charge or they structure their fees. The process of design, it can be charged for in various ways and the cost of design services are going to vary as well. I'll say up front, there's a perception that architects will be the most expensive of all design services, but that's not necessarily the case. I've seen building designers and I've even seen interior designers who cost more than some architects. And there's a range of ways that fees can be structured and this can be applicable to all types of design services as well. Now, architects and some building designers and even some interior designers, they'll charge a percentage of the construction cost as their fees. So when they do this, they're going to be super keen to get your budget up front and they're going to understand what you're wanting to do for that budget so that they can assess how realistic your budget is. And then they're going to link their fee to that construction budget and give you a fee proposal based on what's known as a percentage fee. And if over the duration of your project, your budget goes up, then your fee is going to go up as well. Now, this can be an area of a lot of contention for the industry and for homeowners because, you know, it feels implicit that if someone is linking their fee to your construction costs um, going up, then it's in their interest to drive your construction costs up. Now, it can also feel like there's decisions that you may make that uh, will drive the construction cost up, like maybe the finishes that you choose, but they're not going to necessarily change the amount of design work that's involved. And so it can be challenging to juggle that at the outset. 
It's why it's really important to get some certainty around how realistic your budget is very early in your project process. And you can do this by either asking any design professionals that you're speaking with to show you their previous work with comparative budgets, uh, or you can involve a builder through the PAC process or the paid as consultant process, or alternatively, you can speak to a quantity surveyor to see what costs are doing in the industry for projects like yours. This will help you then have a more relevant understanding of your specific construction costs and then you can use that uh, info as part of your selection process as well. Now when architects are doing percentage fees, they're going to be cross-referencing that against the number of hours that they believe a project will take them and they'll multiply it out by their hourly rate. So that cross-checking that they do, they don't just pluck a percentage out of the air, they do cross-check and it's important that they confirm that they've got their fee estimates correct and then that they also know how many hours they've allowed for in their fee so that they can then track their time on your project against the, the hours that they allowed for each of the stages to know that they're delivering within the estimations that they made. The other way that architects and other design professionals can charge you is with fixed fees. And these will, uh, as with percentage fees, these are going to be broken down into the stages of work on your project, uh, such as concept design, design development, documentation, and maybe construction or contract administration. And they can also provide hourly rates for their fees as well. And it might be that certain parts of the process are done on hourly rates versus fixed fees. Some designers just charge, they just give you an hourly rate and they say it'll take what it takes. Now, I see uh, at the other sort of side of things is that some drafts people, they will actually charge their fees based on the number of drawings, the pages of drawings they're going to do for you. So they'll, they'll charge you per page of drawings. Or they also charge per square metre of the house that they're drawing for you. So they'll have a fixed rate based on the size of your home. Um, and then I've also seen, obviously, that if you're getting your home designed by a builder, then some builders will have, you know, uh, design fees that they identify, but they'll say that they're going to deduct those from your building contract if you proceed with using them for your build. Um, now, I have a whole podcast episode. It's episode 196 on what to actually look for in a designer or architect's fee proposal. So make sure you check that out. It's a really valuable uh, piece of information. There's a checklist that you can download uh, that tells you what to look for in a fee proposal. So um, I've got a link in the resource for you to check that out. It just means that you can protect yourself as you're assessing a fee proposal to see whether they've included all the information that they need to. Now, in early conversations with any designer, actually ask them how do they charge their fees and what do they base them on? Don't assume that an architect's going to be the most expensive design professional. And when you're assessing fees, consider the return on investment. I have seen, I've seen homeowners scrimp on design fees or on documentation fees, and then they spend considerably, significantly more during construction than they needed to due to missed opportunities and mistakes made because they really tightened that um, spend on their design and documentation. I've also seen people use a one-stop shop because they feel that it's going to be a simpler way to handle all of the moving parts and people through their project, but then they totally lose out on maximising their design opportunities um, or they don't really understand how professional fees are being invested over the scope of works that are being provided. Now, with some of these one-stop shops, there's very little transparency in how the various components of their services are being sourced and structured or paid for. Um, there's one business in particular uh, that will farm you out uh, when you sign on with them. They'll farm you out to a local freelancer to work with during the design phase. And that freelancer will get 
little or no supervision or involvement from the overseeing company and the quality of its service and expertise that you access through that process, it's so random. Plus, there's inability for you to anticipate how well you're going to connect with uh, that designer or be able to communicate with them um, based on you not knowing who's actually going to be assigned to you before you sign on with the company. So please know that it's possible to work with architects and even some building designers who are going to coordinate the whole process for you and still give you a fantastic design experience that's buildable and cost efficient. And I'm going to talk more about this whole coordination thing in a minute. However, not all design professionals are going to want to do all the full coordination. Some of them are not going to be good at it either. And, uh, you know, you really need to understand that if you're looking for somebody to project manage your whole project. I'm going to talk in the next episode about partial services and what might be possible if you want to shift who you're working with over the course of your project um, so that you can get specific input and manage your budget overall. So make sure you tune in for that. Okay, so you now know the difference between the various people who can work on uh, the design for your project and you also know how they can charge their fees. So this may have already helped you think about who you want to use and who might be most suitable for you and your project and the way that you want to work. I want to take you through some other ways that you can use to decide who you're going to work with because there's going to be some other framework or questions to ask yourself that might help you identify the kind of help that you're going to want. So the first way to decide the professional that you're going to work with, architect, building designer, draftsperson, interior designer or builder, it's going to be determining the scope of services that you require for your project or that you'd like to access. Now, you may have heard me say this before and if you've watched my free video workshop, Your Project Plan, which you can um, access at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan or one word, I talk about the fact that there are four stages to every project. You know, no matter how big it is, where it's located or what your budget is, whether it's a $2 million house or it's a kitchen, there are four stages. So it's pre-design, design, pre-build and build. Every project goes through these four stages. And for renovations and new builds, you know, these four stages, they could take anywhere from 12 months through to three years and sometimes longer to get through. In each of these stages, pre-design, design, pre-build and build, there are a series of steps that have to be completed so that your project can go smoothly, so it can stay on budget, and so it creates a fantastic end result. And these, of course, are the steps that we go through in a lot of detail inside my flagship program, The Home Method. Now, you've probably heard me say before as well that every project needs a project manager, and your project manager is not your builder, okay? Your builder is their own project manager. They're not your project manager. Their agenda in protecting the profitability of their work during construction, it may sometimes be different to your agenda in delivering your finished home. Now, that I know like the builders will need to do a good job in supporting you in order to build their reputation and continue to get work. But sometimes this can conflict with what your needs and wants are. And so sometimes when those conflicts in the agenda occur, it's going to be important that you have someone who's not your builder and it might be you it might be you yourself or it might be somebody that you've hired actually they're protecting your agenda as your project manager so if you're not hiring this service through your design professional or a specific project manager then you're going to need to be your own project manager you're going to need someone as your agent either yourself or someone else representing your interests in your project and stepping into those sticky conversations and making sure that everything's running the way that you want it to now 
There are design professionals who will hold your hand through all of these four stages. There's architects and some building designers who uh, their services work that they will be your advocate, your designer, your project manager, your liaison, your trusted partner, and they'll do that through all of the steps that are involved in those stages from the very early feasibility of your project through to completion on site. There are also some design professionals who won't, okay? They only want to do certain parts of the process. And these can this can include architects. Uh, I see that there's some architects who don't want to get involved in absolutely everything. But more often than not, I find that architects are willing to and some may even actually insist that they do all of the stages, that they provide full services. Um, and then you might find that there's building designers and drafts people who will only do part of the process. They'll only go up to the end of documentation. They won't have anything to do with construction. So it's worth understanding what scope of services you're going to want support and help in. Now, one key thing that's required in any project is something called consultant coordination. Consultant coordination is the work of sourcing and helping to incorporate the advice and the required input of the various consultants that you're going to need, such as your structural engineer, you might need a town planner, a building certifier, geotechnical engineer, a surveyor, and any other consultants that your project may require or that you want to use. And so some design professionals, they're just not interested in helping you with consultant coordination. There can actually be a lot of work in finding and involving the input of these consultants and ensuring that the design and the documentation that you've got develops to reflect the input of these consultants as well. I've actually seen many homeowners take on this role of consultant coordination. Um, it might have been because they actually didn't even know that it needed to occur and, you know, they've chosen a design or a drafting professional that didn't do any of it. And then as they move through the project, they discover that they actually need this additional input and information and so they've got to be the one coordinating it and finding these people to work with. Now, if the, if the homeowner doesn't know what is required in this work, then what can often happen is it can trigger extra costs and delays because documentation has to get updated or there's unexpected changes that need to be made. And I've seen instances as well where the money that was invested in the design and the floor plans has been completely wasted because the consultant input uh, when the homeowner finally was able to access it, it just completely undid the work um, done up to that point in that project. Now, in most projects, there's going to be consultant coordination of some kind. And so, yeah, getting your builder to do it on your behalf can sometimes be possible. But be aware that that may also bring about the need for redocumentation and adjustment to approvals if they're not going to be doing that until after your design has been created uh, or it's been physically drawn and submitted to council. So consider for yourself how you're going to want to access help with managing your team, with coordinating these consultants, and if you're going to want your design professional to guide this process um, and collaborate with and consult, you know, and coordinate with the work of these other professionals, these other consultants, and you want them to do that as part of their scope of works. It's also important that you think about the range of design services that you want to access. So for some designers and especially for some architects, they naturally take you through a feasibility process where they'll test ideas and concepts for your project. So if you listen to my episode um, and conversation with Anthony Martin of MRT and Architects, that was episode 207, you'll have heard him talk about this feasibility or this pre-design process and what it involves. Now, not all design professionals do this as part of their service. After the pre-design and feasibility phase, design 
professionals, they can then develop your preferred option into a resolved floor plan and into building form. And they can also assist with selections and specifications of materials, fixtures and finishes. And they can oversee your negotiations with a builder. They can ensure that you have all the required documentation to control the outcome on site. And they can also provide detailed resolution of specific design elements and construction requirements as well. And they can also be demonstrating your design through 3D walkthroughs, through virtual reality experiences, and also through physical models. And at the whole other end of this spectrum, the extent of your design services may be limited to, a, you know, one or two meetings and a set of two or three floor plans with simple notes on them. And that's it. And then there's everything in between. So have a think about the scope of services that you want to invest in and assess where this investment is going to help you save time, money and stress and also help control the outcome of your design and how it's built on site. You also want to look at how this investment is going to give you confidence that you actually understand the design of your future home and what it's going to look like and feel like before it gets built and that that the process is actually set up to adopt your ideas and all of the efficiencies and optimization that it can as the design and the documentation is developing. And so the scope of services that you require, that may impact which professional that you choose. I, I find that some homeowners, they're not even aware that they can access this range of help and support from design professionals um, and, you know, what it's going to look like for them to work with a design professional this way as they navigate their project. Now, in the next episode, I'm going to dive into some more detail about the other ways that you can determine which design professional you want to work with and then also talk through when a draftsperson or a builder may just be simply the best approach um, versus you you having to use an architect or another type of design professional. Please know, however, okay, spoiler alert, I think this is always going to be a personal choice and I also think it's not always budget driven in terms of the cost that you've, like the construction cost you've got for your project. Because in my experience, I find that there are architects who are willing to provide design input and work on, you know, $30,000 kitchen renovations. And then there's builders and draftspeople who are willing to fully design and work on $2 million brand new homes. And whilst there can be some obvious choices or specific project types where certain design professionals are generally preferred, this will often come down to what you personally see value in. Just know though that there is no such thing as free design services. The cost of design services is going to be baked into the process somewhere. And this is the thing, you will actually change what you do and the decisions that you make when you're required to physically pay for something and put financial skin into the game rather than access design services for supposedly, you know, free in air quotes. So make sure you tune into the next episode. I'm going to take you through some additional questions to ask and a framework to think about for specific project types, what you might be planning on doing and what that might mean for who you could work with or who might be the best choice for your project. And remember, you can access a downloadable PDF version of this transcript, uh, of the transcript of this episode. Um, And I've got some additional links and resources in there that are going to be helpful for you, uh, particularly for this part of your project uh, journey. So you can grab that uh, PDF download at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 209. That's the numbers 209. Please share this podcast episode with family, friends, colleagues, even strangers, basically anyone that you know it may help. 
so that we can get this information and knowledge into the ears and hands of as many homeowners as possible and improve their experience of designing, building and renovating their family homes. I love hearing the stories of those who found this podcast thanks to the generosity of another listener. It is just awesome. Now, if you haven't left a review on the Undercover Architect podcast, especially if you listen on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you please could. It really makes a difference in enabling this podcast to reach others that it can help. And it also ensures that I can continue to grow the podcast and get amazing guests and information on here as well. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, which lands each Tuesday morning to access helpful information and education in your project journey so that you can get it right as you design, build or renovate your family home. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.